Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. So, uh, we're going to hop right into this, this uh, series and backwards. If you guys are going to need a Bible, we have some in the back of the room. If you don't have one at all, we have one that's there for a gift for you. Um, the Bible is also available in our app. If you want to go on there, you can't play games, but you can get the Bible. Uh, so you guys can sneak into that. Some of you have a smart device, you do that. I'm going to give you a little heads up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today if you want to get ahead of me. Um, so we're in this backwards series about how, like I said earlier, um, sometimes it just seems like when we're truly trying to listen and follow Jesus's words and his actions and um, what he says, um, that most often it can seem just really backwards from the normal responses everyone else has, the world. It's just a it's opposite. It's backwards. And when we live like that, we're really living a life that's questionable because it's backwards. And the Bible is a really difficult thing for uh, a lot of us. We're going to look at, over the next three weeks, practically um, how we can be missional like Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk about who is our neighbor. That's an important thing for us to know and understand. Who's my neighbor? Next week, uh, we're going to talk about what's in your hand. And we're going to talk about what that looks like and how you can use it. In the following week, we're going to talk about where's my limp. And so uh, I'm excited to jump into this with you and talk over the next three weeks how we can be missional as a church. And uh, when we grab the, the Bible and look and see what is missional about it, and we open it up and we get to these tough parts and we're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to forget, I'm like supposed to forgive people? Like, ah, I don't feel like that's me. And we take it and we're like, I'm going to keep that one out. And we flip through to another page and and we look at this thing and we say, oh, generous, <laughs> we have to live like with extreme generosity. No, I don't want to do that one. And we flip to another page in our Bible and we say, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. No, I'm not going to do that. And that's what we do. Some of you are freaking out right now. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, he's going to die in front of us right now. This isn't really the Bible, just so you know, so you don't have to have a panic attack. Uh, but we do that, Right. For reals, with our Bible, when we look at these simple things, especially like when we're in life circumstances, right? L loving our neighbor is like super easy when we want them to be our neighbor, but when they're not the neighbor we need them to be, it's very difficult. Uh, being generous, super easy when you're feeling generous, but there's other times when you're just like, ah, that's not me. I just don't, I'm not in a place where I'm going to forgive. I'm not in a place where I'm going to love my enemy. Uh, and so we pick and we choose and we start looking at this, and that's what's so backwards about our Jesus. And so uh, I want to go through a, a common story today, and then I'm going to have some friends come up and join me. But I'm going to talk through a common story that many of you heard that uh, sometimes I think is misrepresented or mistaught, and we don't have uh, a full understanding of what this, what's really happening in the background of this story. And that is um, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you want to join me, I'm going to open up to Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, I'm going to start there. It starts like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So I'm going to pause for a moment. An expert in the law at that time uh, was uh, called a Torah scholar. They studied the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. It consisted of 613 laws that you were to abide by. Now, as a Torah scholar, an expert in the law, they not only knew by heart memorization every single one of those 613 laws, but they like knew the fine print. And they debated it, and they had conversations about it. This is just where they lived uh, in this book and study and knowledge and understanding, and they would do many other things. So 
this guy, that one, stood up to test Jesus. Now, the testing that's going to here literally means he was trying to test him and get him into kind of a corner, into a spot. Like, I'm going to get you, uh, and, and you're going to trap yourself in this occasion. So he says, um, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when he's talking about eternal life in this moment, he's not talking about the eternal life that a lot of us talk about, which is, you know, heaven and streets of gold and a place for you. He's talking about when the Messiah comes back and uh, there's a new, a new world and a new order and living with the Messiah. So he says, what must I do to inter- uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response was, what is written in the law? Capital L, he replied. And how do you read it? Now, this is really important because of who he's talking to. See, Jesus was Jewish, and so was the, the man that he was talking to and where he was teaching. And so he's asking him, uh, how do you read the law? Uh, what is it to you? And um, what was going on back then in these conversations was uh, there was many debates in the priority of these 613 laws. So, for example, um, there's a law about the Sabbath and what you do on your Sabbath. And then there was another one about how, you know, uh, what happens if um, someone, you know, your kid gets hurt, breaks his leg. Can you pick them up and can you carry them and do work, exert effort and help them uh, on the Sabbath? And so that's why they would have these types of conversations. We need to know what is the highest priority so we know what the response is in each one of these moments. And so there was two camps at this time. There was a camp. Um, that sat, and it was by a guy named Rabbi Hillel, and there's another camp that was Rabbi Shammai, and their two camps was, and their priorities was the number one uh, commandment or law was to love the Lord God with your heart, body, mind, and soul. Number two is where they differed. One camp said, Hillel's camp said, your neighbor, love your neighbors yourself is the second most important thing. Shammai's camp says, that the second uh, priority and the second most important thing to do is to be holy as God is holy. And so he's asking him, Jesus, in this time, he's saying, what's written in the law and how do you read it? Essentially, he's saying, what camp are you in? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, with all your strength. And all, with all, I said that all over the place. Love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind like both of them agreed with, and number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus responds in this moment and says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So he's saying, right, you're in Hillel's camp, correct answer. You're on that side. That's who's right in this uh, situation. Now, when it comes to this moment, he hasn't really been tested. He's just gotten knowledge and the debate continues to go on because then they would debate things like, who is your neighbor? And we would see uh, this conversation happen because in Leviticus, if you go to Leviticus 19, starts in chapter, uh, verse 16, it talks about who your neighbor is and what's neighborly and what's not. And most times it's referencing neighbor and your people in the same instance. So they would discuss what the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law here. And most, most of the time they would come to the people, uh, my people are my neighbor. So some of you guys understand what that means because when I talk to you, you have your people. You would say, that's my people. Those are people in my life stage, or that's my community group, or that's my small sphere of friends, and those are your people, and so that is your neighbor, which essentially is the easiest to love, right? So 
He asked him this next question, which is the debated one. He said he wanted to justify himself or continue to test him. So he asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Essentially, he's not asking who my neighbor is. He's asking, who don't I have to love? Who isn't my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told a story. He didn't give him a straight-up answer. The story goes like this. He said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Pause. A man. He's not given a name. He's not given a culture to attach to. It's just a dude, just a person. It says he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was on a plateau. Jericho was about 800 feet under sea level, and there was a 17-mile-long road that they would use to travel along there, kind of like our 80 freeway if we were going to the city, just a little bit longer. Um, but it was a typical place like this. And it says this man that we don't know about traveled along and fell into the hands of robbers. So in the same sense, it would be just like I was traveling down the 80 and I saw someone who had broken down. We know that looks like, we know that means, AAA comes, et cetera, et cetera. The same instance, he's saying a man was traveling, he fell into the hands of robbers. That was typical back then. They even had a section of this road that was very narrow, that they even called the way of the blood uh, because robbers would lie in wait. And this was a typical thing that would happen just like you would see on a freeway uh, between two destinations. So a man who's not named was traveling from this road, Jerusalem, down to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Pause again. Notice, they stripped him of his clothes. He has nothing now to mark where he's from, what camp he lives in. Uh, He's just a man. There's nothing to see who he is, where he's from, what his family is. And he's left half dead, which literally means between life and death, going back and forth. So now he can't speak as well. So essentially what Jesus has done is painted us a picture of a human being in all its bareness. It has no connection to anything. It's just a human being at its, at its, at its barest laid out uh, in front of you. Uh, so you don't, can't really pick any sides there as far as background or culturally. So he left them half dead. It says then in verse 31, a priest happened to be going by and down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Pause again. In this moment and instance, uh, many people have taught, you may have been taught this when you've talked about this story, a lot of people are saying that they're busy with religious work. They're just busy. They had somewhere else to go that was important. I got a phone call they had to respond to. They had to get there quickly. So they didn't have time because it was going to take time to stop and help this person and deal with that situation. Some others say that they were just bad Jews. Uh, that they just uh, weren't thinking of other people. Really in this moment, my firm belief is that that wasn't the case. Jesus was painting the other side, the other camp, which was to be holy. I think in this moment, what would happen is the uh, priests and the Levites would be up in Jerusalem and they'd spend a week there doing their sacrifices, their other duties at the temple. And after that was done, they would go back home, a lot of times down over into Jericho, and they would make their way along this road. And they lived in the holy camp. So when it came to priorities, number one was love the Lord your God. They did their things. And number two, instead of love your neighbor as yourself, was be holy. And if they had come in contact, if you look back in Leviticus, with a dead body, they would become unholy and unclean. 
They said that even, uh, some people said that even um, if their shadow, this is maybe why they had walked on the other side of the road, because death to them was vertical. And even if their shadow had cast out and touched that person that, again, we didn't know was between life and death, that they themselves then would become unclean because they had come in contact with a dead person. And so they had gone on the other side, making this effort to be holy. There's other effects that could happen with this family. They probably had offerings or sacrifice, the tenth of the tenth, their family needed to eat. But that would mean that they would become unholy, have to go back up and spend a week back in Jerusalem and go through ceremonial cleanings for a week over and over again uh, to become then once again made clean and holy. It continues on in 34, uh, excuse me, in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. This is the last person this expert of the law wanted to hear in this story. Jesus has set it up with the punchline. You had your two, first two guests in there. You know the third one's going to be the hero. And the last person they wanted to hear was a Samaritan. They despise each other. It was the antithesis of the hero in this story for an expert of the law. I can go into much detail, or you can go and look at that through this week and the, what the, who the Samaritans were and why there was this rift of this half-breed thing that was going on. But to put it in somewhat other kind of context, at least around this area, it's like uh, an Oakland Raiders fan saying that a 49ers fan came and did that. Or like, uh, like an Oakland A's versus a San Francisco Giants, right? I'm trying to think of some of those things. It was never the good Samaritan. It was like my enemy rolled up now on this situation after they had passed by and took pity on this person. He went to him in verse 34 and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was also ceremonial things that the priests and the Levites did to show that. He then put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, uh, that's two days of work, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra spence you may have. This was a costly love. This was a sacrificial love. This Samaritan had to stop to this man, take pity on him, and go out of his way and take time to take care of his wounds, uh, to then put him on his donkey, go to a place where he wasn't welcome, around that area, which is probably why he couldn't stay at this inn, take care of him, make sure he's good, pays then money, his own money, after he hasn't been wherever he was headed and going, and then says, I'll come back and I'll reimburse you for any of the cost. This was a costly, sacrificial love. So Jesus then says in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? That's a slow-pitched softball. There's three people. There's a priest, there's a Levite, and there's a Samaritan. So which of the three that I just named do you think was the neighbor? See then the response in verse 37. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say his name. He couldn't say the Samaritan. That's how bad it was. My enemy had mercy on this person. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's backwards for so many people. That's outside of your like neighborly walls. So who's outside of your neighborly walls? Who is your, maybe even your enemy loving or who is your enemy that you aren't 
giving costly love or sacrificial love to the point in this instance of becoming unclean and unholy because it's more important to love your neighbor. Who are you hanging out with that people are saying, why are you hanging out with them? That will wreck your reputation, right? So I have some friends uh, over the next couple of weeks, I want to share testimony from people who uh, are in this community. I thought about it as like, hey, we can, you know, maybe we can talk about um, people who are on TV and doing good charitable work or um, athletic all-stars that could come here and talk about how they're making a difference for Jesus in and around their sphere of influence and doing those things. And we would say, oh yeah, that's that person. They're doing those things. But I wanted to celebrate the people who are here in the trenches that's already a part of this community in loving in a costly way that understands fully who their neighbor is. So I'm going to bring up my friends uh, for this weekend. We'll do this over the next couple of weeks with some different people, but I have Megan Friedman and Rick, Rick Small. Uh, they're going to come join me. You can give them a little... <laughs> um, so we're just going to have a conversation for a couple of minutes about just who they are and what they do. And that's, uh, as we go through these next weeks, these, you're going to meet people that you probably didn't know what they're involved with or why they tick the way that they tick. And uh, I think it's important for us to be a part of that and to learn from that and see that. So this is uh, Rico, Rick, RB. Uh, I call him RB because we were room buddies in Africa. He was my room buddy. So if you ever see us dropping the RB, that's why. Just so you know. See, you never knew that. And I just gave you something you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, first of all, tell us, um, what do you do for a living? How do you earn a living to support you and your family? And uh, how long have you lived, and where have you lived at? Okay, so, um, married, have um, Takima, who's a, who was a teacher at Semple for 20 years, and we have a son, Garrett, and we moved to Benicia in 1982, and um, I own Alonzo and Small Insurance here in Benicia, and have had that since 1981. It's awesome. Yeah. So uh, one really cool thing that I love about Rick when I first met him is that uh, him and his wife were involved in, uh, in this area, helped run uh, an organization called Young Life, um, which is for specifically uh, teenagers, preteens, preens, tweens, whatever they call them now, uh, <laughs> um, our friends uh, that are going through uh, some difficult moments in life and figuring things out. But they did Young Life for 30 years. Uh, opened up their home, uh, worked with young people, and then after that transitioned into um, mentoring young men um, at uh, a local school here in Benicia called Liberty High uh, and spends in his busy week a couple hours uh, every single week with these young men. And we're just going to say it. I mean, you're 60-ish and you're hanging out with students. Ish. Why? <laughs> I think that's a good question. Um, so when we, we stopped doing Young Life, um, you know, Jesus never talks about retiring from your ministry. So you're kind of thinking, hey, where do we go from here? Thanks, and, thanks um, for that. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I was approached, and to um, they were starting a program at Liberty High, which is a continuation high school here mm -hmm. in, um, in Benicia. It's about 85 kids that go there. And um, basically to come on campus and to mentor um, the students there. So they hooked us up, and um, all, all the students have a mentor, uh, women with the um, girls and men with the guys. And we're not there to, you know, help them with the math and history, thank goodness. It's, um, it's <laughs> basically to um, get to know them, 
Uh, one thing I learned in Young Life is, is when, you're, when you're speaking to youth, um, which I believe have so much to say and we, we have a tendency not to listen to them, is mm. we have to earn the right to be heard. Yeah. So we, we listen to them, have a list of questions that we go through, and then um, and we do have breakthroughs. We have breakthroughs where they, they open up to us. And, and Liberty High, being a continuation high school, um, has at-risk at kids there. And at-risk could mean maybe they're, they're at risk of, of not graduating. They need more credits. So they have to work a little harder. All the way to the spectrum of um, basically being abandoned by their, by their parents yeah. and, and their they're trying to make it on their own, you know, um, trying to figure out what life is all about without parental support and trying to get an education. So we're there to, to work with them and to, and to help them to figure out who they are, who they are and, and what life holds for them and how they're going to charge into that life. Yeah, I love the, you have no boundaries there, that uh, it's about the work that needs to be done, not about where you've come from or how old you are. Um, but the sacrifice you make in that. Uh, the other thing that maybe many of you don't know about is uh, a few years ago, um, Rick was asked uh, if he would become a police chaplain in the city of Benicia. And so he's been doing that for a couple of years now. And that is um, specifically he works with our first responders, emergency people in the, in the area as they go and they deal with crisis themselves as a support uh, for the things that they deal with and they see as well as um, he gets the phone calls at any time. We learned this last service. We actually thought he was getting a phone call <laughs> um, to, uh, to show up at like 3 in the morning um, to a family or um, some people that are in a crisis. They've lost a loved one to be there in 20 minutes um, to an address that he doesn't know, to walk in then to a home in a situation where there's brokenness. You don't know what culture they're from their background is, their religious preferences, their sexual orientation. Uh, you, don't know, you don't know anything about that. I can't really imagine, for most of us, a more awkward type of situation to be put into, and you're openly walking into that. Uh, can you explain to us just what that's like and, and why? You know, Young Life was, was really a, a, um, a fun adventure. You know, the kids would come there. We started with 40 in our front room, and when we retired, we had 120 down at the um, uh, church on Egret Court when we were down there. We, it was great. We did fun things. The kids loved us, yeah. and, you know, we could relate. So moving into the next step, the mentor program, and then when I was asked about the, um, to be a chaplain, you know, it reminded me of, um, of when in Chapter 8 of Matthew, when Jesus comes down from the mountain after giving the Sermon on the Mount, and, and a um, leper approaches him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus could have very well stayed back. Mm -hmm. I don't want to touch a leper. said, hey, be clean. But he comes up and he touches the leper. He touches them to make them clean. And ministry is messy, okay? Yeah. It's, it's not always the way we want it to be, to pick and choose you know, Jesus knows who we are. God knows who we are, and he puts us in these situations. So when I was asked to be, uh, to be a chaplain, I thought, wow, what, how, can I, how can I do this? Well, it's, it's the same way as um, um, anything that we do for God. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through us. So when you get that call at 3 a.m., and you roll up on a house, and it's, it's dark out, and, and you walk in, and um, one of the most tragic ones I had was was the young man, Kyle Hyland, a 17-year-old um, high school student at, at BMS, took his life three days before Christmas, this past Christmas. 
and you walk into that house, and and here is a family that the day before everything is great. They're celebrating, getting ready to celebrate Christmas, and on that morning, their their life is turned into hell. Yeah, their son has taken their life, and their and their lives now are hell. Yeah. And you walk in saying, "What possibly can I bring to this right. to make it better?" And and you 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 count on the Holy Spirit to speak through you to be there just to love. Yeah. And sometimes it's ministry by presence. You're just there and you're loving on the people. You see, you see pictures and you're saying, wow, look at the life they had. They, they did everything together. They went hiking. They played soccer. They, they coached soccer together. And, and you just kind of feed off of that. You just say, what a loving family. You know, and you just love on them. And it's, and it's messy. Yeah, it's messy, yeah. Um, what I, uh, I really love how this parallels literally with the story that we just went through in Luke, how you know, someone's down and, and they call Rick and they say, hey, we need you to come. We have uh, an emergency situation or a crisis situation where they're literally between death and life and figuring this out. And he gets to come and walk into that space and literally wrap up them and himself and just to cry and to be and to listen and to care for, place them literally then on his donkey and carry them for, through those first few moments and then say, I, I have to go. I'm, I'll be back. If you need me, here's my number. I'm available. I'm open. That is a costly sacrificial love beyond your sleep. I mean, to walk into those moments. And uh, you don't have to be a police chaplain to, to do those things. You, you have people all around you uh, that you can see and, and know that sometimes it's just being there outside of my comfort zone people that I don't know, that I've heard, and I can come and I can just sit and just to be with in those moments. So uh, I have another friend here with me, and that's Megan Friedman, um, and uh, she's amazing. Where, uh, where do you work? Where do you make a living in your normal job? Uh, and then um, where do you live? So I work um, processing loans for a large uh, lender in the United States that rhymes with Smells Fargo. Um, <laughs> like you couldn't just say it. <laughs> I know. My husband calls the Smells Fargo, which, you know, which he's right anyway. Um, so hopefully nobody here works for them and I'm not in trouble yeah, yeah. tomorrow morning. Because they pay your bills. I know. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I moved to uh, Benicia in uh, 1990. And um, for the first few years that Rich and I were married, we, um, we were renters here in Benicia and then we were able to. Um, purchase a home. So we now live in Vallejo. That's awesome. And I want you to, uh, the reason I asked what they do for a living, because I want you to hear that. So many of us say like, oh, I'm so busy for everything. And uh, I wanted you to hear like all the things that they do uh, in addition to the way they make a living. So um, when, uh, I love this, when I was um, trying to get a hold of Megan, I said, hey, there's this, I want to, I want to bring you up. I want to talk about this. We have a series we're going to go to through for a couple weeks. And I called her uh, to say, you're going to be here on the Sunday. I want to have a conversation with you. And so um, when we got a hold of each other, she's like, oh, I, I'm not going to be there this weekend. I'm in um, out of town at my sister's surprise uh, birthday party. I'm going to be here until Tuesday, but I'll help you with whatever. And, and then she goes, Tuesday, I know that's, this is on Sunday. It's such a long time to be here. I think today I'm going to go out and see if I can find a shelter that needs help. What? And I was like, that's why I, why I want to talk to you. Like, who, who takes a vacation and says, where can I help? Like, wherever you're at. I don't even live there. And there's got to be people that need help. So um, when we were talking, uh, I just want you to share with us what, 
what breaks your heart? What makes you tick? What would make someone respond while they're on vacation, celebrating somewhere else, uh, respond in that way uh, towards others? Well, um, there are a lot of things that move me to compassion. Um, But when I think about what breaks my heart, um, I would have to say when I see a person who is ashamed, when they've been shamed by someone or when they're embarrassed, um, sometimes... um, you know, you see someone, they don't have all their teeth or they don't smell very good. Um, there's a man who is at the corner of Redwood and Sonoma, and he has a prosthetic leg, and his prosthetic leg has a, has a white-like athletic shoe, but his other leg has a black shoe because I'm sure, the, you know, that's the, the best shoe that, you know, keeps the rain out. But um, I see him, and I think, I just want to get him shoes that match, which is Kind of silly because I know um, that Jesus doesn't care if we have teeth or if we have matching shoes, um, but he does care if we're ashamed and if we're mm. humiliated. Yeah. And so my job is to use my stu- stuff, my um, time, my energy, my money to um, place value on people, to tell them in some way that they are valuable um, to me, uh, to God, and um, encourage them in that way. Man, that is so rich. Uh, That's something you write down. Can you imagine going through your day thinking, today my job is to place value on someone else's life. Today my job is to find a way to give someone else value that's rich. <laughs> wow. Um, can you give me a, uh, just a couple stories? Like, what, So how do you find that? How do you see those situations? Maybe a couple um, that you specifically uh, uh, kind of run into in your response in those. Well, when we um, moved to Vallejo, I, um, I was so excited because I got to move into a Victorian, an old house, and I just love it. Love um, being there, and it's, it's charming to me. Um, but uh, God had other things in mind in addition to that. And so we live across the street from Lincoln Elementary, which is a school that has about 97% kids that qualify for free lunch, so their families are very poor. And we live kitty-corner from First Baptist, which runs the Sparrow uh, Program, which is a Feed the Hungry program. And we live um, just a couple doors away from a... um, kind of a senior living facility. So there are a lot of people around us that, that don't have everything they need. And so um, when I'm at work and I'm you know, worried about a million things, uh, if I need to do something to remember to do it, I write a post-it. And then when I get, then when I get done, I throw it away. So how many, if it's how many in you guys are the post-it me, people? You're like, hey, I got to write down the things in front of me. and then Yeah, I mean, I own a lot of planners that I've never written anything in. So anyway, it's the Post-its, and then I get rid of it when I get it done. So now I live somewhere where there are Post-its, like, walk out of my door. There they are. They just, Mm. so it's, they remind me those are the Mm. things that I need to do. And for me, it's right in front of me, and then I can do something about it. So here's an example. There's a woman who's dropping her 
child off at school, and her driver's window is saran wrap and duct tape. And I, I don't want her to have to have saran wrap and duct tape, and I'm sure she's embarrassed to do that. So I had a little bit of money left from adopt family, and I had some other miscellaneous money. Like, I got this check in the mail from being part of a collective civil lawsuit or whatever. I got like $8.10 <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. So it was just here and there, whatever money, you know. And so um, so I, I told Rachel, okay, take this money, put it in an envelope. And after I leave for work, go give it to that lady and so that she can get her window fixed. Um, here's another example. Um, also having to do with the school. So we've gotten to know the principal, and um, my husband has a pretty good relationship with her. And sometimes she'll email him things just... Um, that have to do with what's happening at the school, but sometimes just, you know, for information. So um, she sent him an email saying there was a little girl, she was eight, and she had come into this, the principal's office, and the people had been, her friends and, you know, co-students had been teasing her on the playground because she didn't smell very good. And um, so what she told the principal is that her mom didn't have money to buy laundry detergent, so she hadn't, you know, been able to wash her clothes or her her underwear for quite a few days, and so that's why she smelled bad. So um, so Rich forwards this to me, and I think we could do something about that. Okay. So yeah, totally, it's great. And, and the principal sent it to him like, isn't this sad? But I thought, well, we can do this. So um, I talked to some of my friends, and we gathered these rubber maids that are kind of low and flat. They can slide underneath something, and we you know, put socks and underwear and safety pins and hair bands and things that you need when you're at school. And that way, if this happens to her, she doesn't have to be embarrassed. I, I don't want her to be embarrassed. So yeah. it's an easy way to make her life better. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, <clears throat> man, I love the visual of a post-it that you walk out and you see post-its just where you're walking as people and things. That's another one, man. If we could... <laughs> Uh, walk through our day and begin to notice the post-its that are probably in your life in front of you all over the place uh, and respond to that to bring value to someone. So um, with this, uh, the, the parallel of, you know, it's amazing. Rick, Rick gets the call. They find someone that's on the side of the, the street, a person, and they're in crisis, and he gets the call, and he comes there and gets to be a responder and carry him through those moments. And, and I love uh, Megan's story because She's not getting called in. She's walking the streets. She knows that things are going to happen, that people are going to be in seasons, and, and life happens, and she's searching for it, saying, what's in front of me? And brings value by then taking them to that end and says, I'm going to take care of you, and it's going to be a costly love. Uh, that's a beautiful parallel to this story. Um, and so I'm so thankful for you guys. What, can we do that? Where is your neighbor line? Uh, is it, uh, is it people of a different race? Is it uh, people at your workplace? Uh, is it um, people with different sexual orientations? Is it um, political things? You know where your, your neighbor wall is. And Jesus is calling us to live backwards, which is on the other side of that wall. It's a sacrificial love. At times, even um, to sacrifice maybe your uh, the way people would look at you. Again, why, why would you do that? Why would you make a living and spend your time caring for others? Would you bow your heads? This week, I want to invite you and ask you to seek Jesus. 
and at, say, how can, I, how can I live a sacrificial life, a missional life that gives costly love? And Jesus, would you show me this week where those post-its are that are all up around me or the situations that I need to walk into that are uncomfortable at odd hours of the day, even though it feels awkward just to be in the midst of someone else's life and season and hurt and brokenness and just wrap them up. If you will this week with me, um, I would would love for you to respond. If you'll seek Jesus this week and ask him, say, hey, I'm in. I want to be missional. I want to know who my neighbor is. Would you raise your hand? I'm going to ask Rick to pray over you all this week as you live a missional week this week and discover who your neighbor is. Yeah, it's awesome. Rick, would you? You know, a number of times um, Pastor Ken has has challenged us to um, go through our day and look at everybody we come in contact through the eyes of Jesus. And when you ask that, it's amazing what you see. So I just pray right now, Lord, um, that you will allow us to, to see your children as you see your children, Lord, and to see the, the needs they have, maybe the hurts they have, maybe the problems they have, and let us not be afraid to step forward to be that caring person, Lord, and we can do it in your name with your Holy Spirit, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And some of you may be in the room uh, this morning, and uh, maybe you are that person that's between life and death. You're, you're broken, you're bloody, you're hurting, and you keep finding yourself on this road that goes nowhere. And you needed Jesus to show up and to scoop you up and to make you alive again, because that's what he does. He makes dead things alive, and that's what he's so good at. And he gives that gift freely to you. Maybe you need a neighbor. Maybe you need Jesus. If that's you and you want to receive that that gift today, I want to pray over you as you begin this journey and are released from maybe some bondage that you're in and are given hope and love and grace that you've never been able to give because it's not from Jesus. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray over you. I want to acknowledge you. Would you look at me? Yeah. Yes. So God, we, many of us come to you broken. God, I am so thankful that we can celebrate with you right now in these moments as you have come to give salvation, that you redeem every moment of our life, that you give us what we don't deserve. And I celebrate with you right now that there are many people who are making a first-time decision just to follow you and receive love, joy, hope, mercy, and grace peace that is you can't even understand it God thank you thank you for scooping us up we love you we love you in your name we pray amen thank you for listening to this week's message we trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia California